Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, Scott Anderson. He's the CCO, the Chief Clinical Officer of Sync Think. That's why NC Think. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, eye tracking and what it can do. So, Scott, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Thanks for having me, Richard. I appreciate it. Yeah, if you would, uh, tell me a little bit about your background and then um, about the, your current work at SyncThink. Sure, yeah. So I come from the clinical world, a uh, trained expert in uh, sports medicine and injury prevention care. Um, I most recently, prior to joining the team at SyncThink, I uh, was in charge of the sports medicine program at Stanford University, where we provided a, provided a large multidisciplinary uh, healthcare service organization to um a large at-risk athletic population. So I, I was in charge of the staff there and also had my own uh, clinical responsibilities there too as well. Um, you can imagine being on a campus like Stanford, there's a lot of activity and uh, certainly a lot of multidisciplinary research happening on the campus. And I was involved in a number of activities, um, one of which, which uh, led me to the founder of SyncThink, which is uh, Dr. Jam Gajar, who is uh, a neurosurgeon at Stanford, uh, part of the clinical faculty there, and uh, the founder of SyncThink. And um, we spent some time working together uh, several years to develop or to commercialize the technology or to, to validate the technology to bring it to a commercialized uh, state. And uh, when essentially the technology rolled out of Stanford, um, I uh, joined the company to help its commercialization efforts. Okay, and what's um, the premise of, uh, of SyncThink? Yeah, so SyncThink is a uh, very novel uh, technology that utilizes um, uh, high-fidelity, research-grade um, eye-tracking infrared cameras and emitters that are built into a VR goggle virtual reality goggle and uh, uses a series of 60 second assessments to capture your eye movements and to correlate them with various uh, neurological conditions. Uh, this is something that Dr. Gajar has studied in partnership with the Department of Defense for uh, probably the last 15 years or so. And uh, we've been able to categorize various conditions based on the eye movement biomarker signal that we capture um, from our system. And so we can very rapidly uh, quantify and uh, identify any type of visually uh, impaired signatures that come from a lot of these neurological conditions. And I don't know if you follow neurological health or brain health uh, in general, but um, that's part of what's missing with many of these conditions, whether it be um, conditions that are related to development and uh, attention disorders that are related to uh, childhood development that, that get labeled as uh, learning disabilities or uh, later in life when we have neurodegeneration and develop certain uh, cognitive impairments. Um, what, what they all have in common is that they lack objective information. And so it becomes a diagnosis of exclusion. And uh, in many cases, the patient is diagnosed based on their reported experiences or their symptoms that they may have, which clues the doctor in on what to do for them. We're okay, what, 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 what do you mean? Like, what, what's an example? 
on the condition and what happens when the with someone's eye tracking? Sure. So, you know, typically, say, for example, um, uh, dementia, for example, right? This is neurodegeneration. Uh, the brain is deteriorating and um, there, there are a whole host of symptoms that come with, that's typically reported by the family when somebody is uh, either pre-dementia or, or demented, uh, any type of dementia um, that they may have. And uh, the, the, there is no specific type of test to, to, to get that can allow the doctor to make an accurate diagnosis, right? They're just listening to the patient they're having them maybe they're filling out some kind of standardized questionnaires and they're making the diagnosis based on the information that's collected at that time. There is no way to, to functionally measure the brain to determine whether or not that that's actually what's going on. And so um, we're using eye movements to <clears throat> classify these conditions and to provide more objective insight into the brain's performance through the eyes. So, um, and, and I'll explain a little bit more deeply uh, after that, but that's just the premise of it is essentially we can learn um, a lot about how the brain is functioning through the eye movements. Um, if you're not familiar, the brain, uh, the eyes are the only part of the brain that we can see and the eye movements reflect how the brain is functioning. And so we have this very robust uh, high fidelity system that we can capture these eye movements um, that you would uh, normal uh, that you would otherwise not be able to see with a naked eye. And these, uh, that whatever signatures that they may leave um, give us an indication about the type of impairment we may find. And so Dr. Gajar spent the last 15 years categorizing these different eye movements and associating them with different types of neurological impairments that um, are commonly found but don't use um, objective information in their diagnosis. So that's essentially, yeah, right. um, essentially what we're doing. What's an example of, of an eye movement? I've heard from... Uh... Yeah, I've heard of a nystagmus where I guess the eye jumps when it tries to look, let's say, left and right or up and down. But what do you guys see? Yeah, that's exactly right. So we look for different types of nystagmus and we look for different types of, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, jerking in a certain direction. So what we do is we provide a series of assessments that the patient has to perform and that tells us how well they're oriented. And so they may... Um, you know, perform abnormally during the task, which we should expect to see some type of output. And if they can't complete that output or they complete it abnormally, we look for this type of signature potentially. So for example, one of our, our most common tests is a pursuit task. So there is a target on the screen that goes around in a circle very slowly. Um, people who are impaired, a certain population, people who are impaired, they can't keep their eye on the target as it's moving. What happens is their eyes jerk um, beyond the target's trajectory and they stop and wait for the target to catch up to them and then they follow it again. They jump forward. It's this recurrent, uh, what we call an anticipatory saccade-like um, movement that gives us an indication that someone is, is functioning abnormally. Um, there are a whole host of other types of ways that we categorize, uh, categorize these uh, eye movement signatures too as well. It just depends on um, what we're talking about and what we're looking at. Do the people that you work with, do they know that they have a problem or are they surprised by what, uh, what the test results show? Um, they know something is wrong. In many cases, people in their lives have made accommodations for um, things that they are not aware of themselves that are part of what make them who they are, right? And so if you can show them that there's some objective reason why they they are the way that they are or the way that they they have gone through life um you know adapting it's really eye-opening so for example we can pick up uh, uh 
for example, visual suppression. So this is like the brain has neglect for a certain uh, side of the visual field. So, you know, maybe the left side of the left eye, um, the complete left side of the left eye is completely, the brain doesn't know that there's anything there. And so if you're driving a car, it's very difficult uh, to do safely. And so this can be corrected with therapy and treatment. And in many cases, people don't know that that's, the brain doesn't recognize that there's something off in their periphery of their left side um, and they don't interact with it. And so when the patient comes to you, they sit down and they place their keys and their wallet and their body um, shifted all to the right side because they're, as far as they know, there's nothing on the left side. Um, so there's little things like that that we help them identify that depending on their age and the condition, we can correct and we can certainly, you know, uncover uh, more information about what's going on and uh, help guide the physician to make decisions about the proper diagnosis and treatment plan. Yeah, that's interesting. So uh, eye tracking, I, I don't know, is it regulated by FDA? Is it part of any standard yeah. of care? Like what's the path for it? Yeah. So uh, we are FDA uh, cleared medical device. And I would say eye tracking has been uh, very commonly utilized in neurocognitive uh, research in you know over the past 30 years, um, it really hasn't made its way into you know uh, clinical care of patients um, up until the last probably the last decade or or less. And so we're kind of pioneering that effort to bring um, these me- unique measurements and this um, technology to cl- clinicians and providers who can implement them as part of their clinical workflow. Um, and to help them make more informed decisions about the patient's disposition. I don't know. What, what are the most prevalent conditions that this is used for? And, you know, if I speak to, uh, I mean, what kind of doctor would know about it? How do people even get this uh, analysis done? Yeah, so I would say, you know, we see changes in brain function over the course of a lifespan. And so in kids, they have a developing brain. And so in many cases, kids are labeled if they have you know problems with comprehension or reading in school, um, they may be labeled as having a learning disability or um, having an attention deficit disorder. And so in many cases, our system can be utilized to identify whether or not that's actually um, a legitimate diagnosis. But more importantly, it can guide whoever is performing the task, whether it's the pediatrician or some type of specialist, to to learn more about the type of intervention that's necessary to correct it. In many cases, these kids, um, 30% of kids have this type of, you know, problem. And in many cases, um, they don't improve with medication. And so, you know, that's been our MO in this country is to medicate, 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 and try to, um, you know, correct the problem that way. But in a large percentage of the population, kids with developing brains, it doesn't do anything for them. So, you know, we're, we're um, essentially positioning our technology as an alternative in the developing brain situation. In adults, we see in particular concussion being a, a very large prevalence of uh, visual impairments and uh, eye tracking difficulties that come. Uh, you know, visual and vestibular dysfunction are very common after concussion. And so um, many of the neurology people who treat concussion, any specialist or physical therapist or even sports medicine trained uh, personnel uh, will use this technology to aid in the diagnosis and to uh, track the recovery of these patients um, after concussion, uh, both in sports and in, you know, lay people. And then later in life, as we talked about with, uh, you know, an aging brain, being able to identify whether or not, um, you know, these 
changes in their eye movements correspond to, to certain diseases. But what will happen after someone has a concussion? What will typically be seen? Yeah, so what we see is, um, in many cases, what's disrupted, because concussion is a functional injury. It's not damage to the anatomical structure of the brain. And so what we see is the wiring of the the brain is disrupted, which leads to uh, problems with visual processing. So the brain has to utilize the eyes to select visual information and to process it so that we can react with our bodies or with our mouths. And in many cases, that process is disrupted in patients with concussion. And so our our technology can identify that and can alert the clinician as to the severity of the problem and can guide them uh, through our series of assessments specifically to what areas are dysfunctional and what is the appropriate remediation strategy to get it to resolve. And so that's essentially how we work with many uh, clinical folks, both in in sports, in the military, and in healthcare who treat concussion is, um, that's essentially how they use the technology. Can you tell, um, I mean, you do longitudinal work where someone will come in, do the test, come back a month later or a year later, you know, or do them over a series of years. Like longitudinally, what do you see? Can you see decline in certain people or, you know, progression or improvement, let's say with uh, concussion? Yeah, certainly with concussion. We see quite a bit, even in my own experience, um, we see quite a bit of people who have had a history of concussion who have not had any proper rehabilitation. Um, you know, kind of, I think what the issue we're faced with in our country is that we have, you know, millions of people who are suffering from concussion, but really the standard of care today is, you know, pediatricians and primary care doctors are choosing to isolate these patients and have them sit in a dark room until their symptoms uh, abate and they can resume their normal lives. But what hap- what's happening in many cases is that these individuals are suffering and having dysfunctions um, that can be measured, um, that our technology can identify, that is the source of their symptoms. And so in many cases, we see people who still have lingering problems that they've just learned to deal with, and they've never been evaluated or you know, more thoroughly assessed to identify the types of dysfunction they have, and they show up you know, two years later and they still have the problem. And so this you know, necessitates, obviously, the rehab that should have been done the day after the injury in order to correct the problem. Uh, conversely, we see the same thing. You know, we can track the recovery. In, in many cases, you know, these patients that are seeing uh, concussion specialists are um, doing so on a weekly basis, and so this can be tracked. The recovery can be tracked, and um, I'll tell you, it's really eye-opening and really motivating for patients to see their own progress. And so, if you are selecting a, a specific type of rehabilitation, and a week later the patient's improved. Uh, their motivation skyrockets, and you really see the benefit of proving to them that your treatment that you've selected for them is is working and effective. And that typically shortens the window of time that it takes for the the uh, patient to feel better and to, to fully correct the problem. Well, what kind of treatments are there or exercises? I didn't even know that there were some. That's good there are. Yeah, you've just proven my point. <laughs> um, is that people don't know that and people don't realize that you can actively rehabilitate uh, a concussion and you should and you shouldn't settle for anything less. So it depends on the scenario, right? You can have anything from uh, you know persistent headaches to neck pain um, to um, vestibular dysfunction, which is throws off your, your balance centers and your ability to orient to things uh, in your in the world around you while you're in motion, like while you're moving around. It's how you uh, receive uh, sensory input 
Um, you know, it's something that's extremely common. And then we have the, the visual uh, dysfunctions, you know, uh, visually processing information, seeing double, um, being, not being able to fixate or concentrate on specific areas in your visual field. Those are all things that are extremely common that occur in concussions, but all have a different rehabilitation pathway. And so the key is to be able to isolate those key uh, impairments and to specifically create a treatment protocol for them. And so you may do a different, completely different type of treatment and rehab for somebody with um, neck problems because they were in a motor vehicle accident versus somebody who's having a visual problem because they were a football player and uh, got tackled and landed on the back of their head. Um, and that's where we have to go with you know, improving the quality of care and the standard of care of concussion is um, really getting people to, to buy into actively rehab, active rehabilitation and for patients really to advocate for that because in many cases, you know, the people who they're seeing either in the emergency room or, you know, the primary care doctor is not, um, you know, the, the proper specialist who's trained in concussion to treat the problem. I guess the good thing is that not only can you diagnose, hopefully with some nuance, what's going on with someone, but you can, you know, give them treatment and then you can specifically see, hmm, it's not working. We got to try something else or yeah, it's working really well. Let's continue. So your system allows all of this to happen, which is great. That's right. Correct. So what, um, I don't know, are there any conditions that uh, are still tricky that are not amenable to this or the conditions are just, you know, the person's going to decline no matter what? Like for instance, you know, yeah. Alzheimer's. Uh, yeah. Is there anything you've noticed yeah. with your system that, that regular science doesn't know? Yeah, certainly. I think with the host of the neurodegenerative disorders, um, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, schizophrenia, those types of conditions where, you know, there are uh, distinct eye-tracking abnormalities associated with them. In many cases, we are not able to, uh, no, our system doesn't correct the problem. It's, you know, in, in many cases, we're identifying people too late, right? And so in, in situations like uh, dementia or early onset, can we slow the progression by instituting some type of therapy? Um, you know, that's, I think, an interest of ours. I would say beyond that, it's, you know, working with pharmaceutical companies to um, to better understand how drugs can uh, positively impact um, quality of life for these patients, because as of right now, that's that's the sole treatment for these types of what we would consider to be chronic conditions. But are there any? Uh, I mean, do you see the degeneration with your tests, or are there flickers yeah. you see or yeah. changes, or you know, what what's some of the yeah. nuance of what you learned with your testing? Yeah, so they each have unique eye movement signatures, and they each have what we refer to as uh, predictive errors, which means, you know, they can't properly anticipate incoming information. And so, um, you know, that's what the focus of many um, uh, drugs are trying to, to deal with, um, is to slow the errors that are associated with visual processing of information or motor dysfunction. You know, in the case of uh, Parkinson's, you know, we are uh, learning a lot about that still. And, Still trying to figure out essentially what is the what is the best protocol for assessing these patients and monitoring them over time because if they're not on the right drug or they haven't changed drugs often you know their their results are going to be kind of all over the place right so how do we how do we work with these companies to um, find the best mix I guess so it's still an open ended question something that we're very interested in and we have I want to say four uh, ongoing studies right now in those different areas to to, to investigate that further. Uh, what's, what's the future of the eye tracking? Where uh, are you going to take it? What's new and you know what's coming? 
Yeah, so the part that we're really excited about is that eye tracking is essentially going to be um, standard in all future AR uh, head-mounted displays. So if you're familiar with augmented reality, you know that most of the ones that are coming to the enterprise market are going to have um, standardized eye tracking features. And so um, this will be, we believe that this will be a huge boost to um, uh, not only to people like us who are very interested in eye tracking and provide a lot of the solutions in the software and analytics side, but um, also to have, you know, various hardware partners like we have with Magic Leap, where, um, you know, we can um, leverage their hardware technology and their built-in eye tracking components for, um, you know, healthcare purposes. So that's the future is, you know, really being able to leverage that technology, um, you know, as it relates to the work that we do. Well, very cool. Scott, where's the best way for people to find out more about SyncThink? Yeah, you can go to our website. Uh, it's SyncThink.com, S-Y-N-C-T-H-I-N-K.com. Um, and you can follow us on our social media pages on uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Well, very good. Scott, thanks for coming. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.